Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. We only have five episodes left before the end of season one. Yes, it's true. (laughs) I know, I can't believe it. Dear listeners, don't worry, though. We'll be back for a few special episodes during our break for the Sabbaths, and please keep in touch with questions, comments, and desires for upcoming topics. We'll be back before you can say Samhain. So today we have a special guest sitting in with us, illustrator, maker, and artist Caitlin Barone. Caitlin is an artist born and raised in New York. She received a bachelor's in art and art history and has a master's in art education. Though she is knowledgeable of many mediums through her teaching background, her work is primarily crafted through pen and ink and photography. Her work delves into themes surrounding folklore, nature, witchcraft, women, and motherhood. She currently lives in Westchester, New York with her husband, daughter, and fur baby Daisy. Like Kate, Caitlin is someone I have never met in person. But thanks to the World Wide Witch Web, we connected about a year or two ago when I was doing social media for North Estella, Tamed Wild's jewelry line. Caitlin was doing some photography for North Estella at the time, and while chatting about our love of witches and ghosts, we discovered a shared interest in the realms of art, feminist literature, and astrology memes. In addition to her work as a photographer, Caitlin is also a jewelry maker and an illustrator, with clients like Hearthcraft Brooms and Tamed Wild. Not only has her art appeared in Llewellyn's Datebook, which I am a huge fan of, she also runs an Etsy shop, Flower Child Arts, and a Society6, Flower Child Art and Design. And despite her busy schedule, Caitlin made time to join us via her home in New York. Welcome, Caitlin. We're so happy that you could join us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm beyond excited to be talking to you both today. Same. So how are you today? I know that we're recording this episode a few days before Beltane, even though it will air a few days after. So I have to ask about your Beltane plans. What will you be doing to celebrate? Well, hopefully I'll be preparing some hydrangea to propagate um, with one of my good friends. And I'm pretty excited to try that. I've never propagated anything before. Um, And I'm hoping that I can spend some time outdoors and maybe do a little tarot spread. Yes, a day spent with flowers, a woman after my own heart. So I mentioned a bit about who you are and your work, but I was wondering if you could tell people in your own words about your art and how that plays into your identity as a witch. Well, I've always wanted to be an artist in one way or another. I had dreams of 
being a singer and a songstress when I was younger. So I've always had this plan A, plan B of visual artist or, um, you know, some type of musician. And the archetype of the witch is just so powerful and something that's always been sort of present um, in my life, which I think is true for so many of us. I look at the witch and the witch possesses the skills and the knowledge to steal their own fate, to protect, to heal, and to see. And I just really love the word craft because artists and witches are very much cut from the same cloth for me. They have this innate ability to see possibility in ordinary things, recreate or reassemble them in really profound ways. The two are incredibly interwoven. Um, And for me, they sort of nourish and complement each other in many ways. Art and witchcraft both live on the fringe. And because of that, they can feel so esoteric, so mysterious, and so freeing from conventional aspects of society that can often feel limiting or even oppressive. Magic making and art making are ways to manifest through transformation. In art, we're able to transform simple materials into something not only beautiful, but into something that has meaning and intention, um, or even be a vehicle of communicating through use of symbols, which to me is super similar to the witch with her seemingly ordinary tools and ingredients um, that she brews together and you know, creates something mystical. And what's even more fabulous than all of that <laughs> is that in the realm of creating, you have complete autonomy over it, which to me is the appeal of the witch archetype. Um, freedom, choice, control, empowerment. You know, your pen or your brush is also your wand, so to speak. It's mysterious, but it's also real and you can feel it in your hand. And it's the tool that's going to help you speak and express yourself or like many artists, maybe speak for those who can't speak for themselves. I love that. Out of these crafts or avenues of expression, do you have one that you identify most with? That's a tough question. I I tend to go back and forth a lot between a lot of different mediums, but I've always loved to draw. So that's a main um, source of expression for me. But jewelry and fashion are a huge passion of mine um, because that's another fun way to express yourself. And it can also be incredibly intentional, Mm -hmm. especially when choosing a piece of jewelry based on color, the gemstones or the actual imagery of the, the metal of the piece. And then you can wear your jewelry as an amulet or a talisman, and then it becomes another magical tool. On episode 23, Kate and I dove into magical realism and surrealism, genres that have and continue to inspire us when it comes to writing and creating. And I'm curious, where do you derive inspiration from? Mm, so many things, uh, I think. But the content of what I like to draw thematically consists of natural elements, lots of flowers, (laughs) hence flower child. (laughs) Um, I just love flowers. I think they can be mistaken for being, you know, just aesthetics. 
and maybe more simple than they are, but I think that there's something just so extraordinary about them. Um, and I also like to nod to the archetype of the witch, uh, as I said before, which is really important in my life. Um, and I, I think I like to show the witch in the way that I personally want to see her, see her because I depict um, a lot of my, a lot of my work is, is women. So it's really more about the way I want to see the witch. Um, and I, of course, if anyone has seen some of my pieces, I, I love fairies. Um, <laughs> and I know that on many of your episodes, we've, you've talked about that, Kate. Love them. <laughs> yeah. So that's another favorite of mine. And I've always wished that I had wings and that I could fly. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like living out this fantasy um, to pen these, these creatures. And lately I, and I finally just shared a piece like this on my Instagram because uh, I haven't shared much of it, but I've been attaching incantations to some of my work. Mm -hmm. So in a way I'm thinking about the finished image as its own spell. And I suppose that's a similar concept to sigils, but maybe not quite. <laughs> um, I did this with another piece and I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the combination of words and images. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> I know exactly what piece you're referencing. I saw it the other day and it's gorgeous. You've told me before that you're not a writer, but I don't think word witchery is completely out of the question for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so about a week or so ago, uh, Caitlin, you and I were chatting and you mentioned how you've really been focused on process art lately. I was wondering if you could describe process art for anyone out there who may not be familiar and share what it is about this art form that you love so much. Definitely. Um, I have my master's in art education. So process art is a concept that is really vital to my personal teaching philosophy, uh, particularly in early childhood development. So process art is not about the end product or producing a finished, polished piece of artwork. It's about learning through exploration and experimentation of materials and concepts. In my opinion, this is such a wonderful practice for children uh, to learn, but it's a really great practice for us, us older folks, <laughs> as it's an opportunity to play, uh, to not worry about perfection and give yourself up to the space of intuition. As adults, I think we forget just how important it is to play. You know, simply put, that's, that's what it is, learning through play. That's one of the things I, I love about working with children. They're so spontaneous and they have so much to offer um, creatively because they're not overthinking things the way that we do. And in our society and our education system, there's a really strong focus on how are you going to make money at that? You know, how can you turn that into a career? I, I'm sure that you both have heard that as well, being artistic people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I understand that. That's a practical concern. But there's a rich intrinsic value to art making that really can't be overlooked um, in education, in a school building, or in your own personal life. 
art teaches empathy. Um, it's therapeutic. It's deeply beneficial to your development as a person. Yeah, this really resonates with me, especially like growing up and telling people I was a poet. Um, people were like, yeah, but what are you going to do for a job? <laughs> but um, there's a quote from Starhawk about play and the spiral dance that I love so much, which reminds me of exactly what you're saying, which is witchcraft is fun and it offers us a chance to play and to act silly and to let the inner child come out. Out of foolishness and play, creativity is born. Do you consider art or the process of making art a ritual on its own? Absolutely. I think that rituals are a part of our everyday lives in so many different ways that maybe we're not even aware of. Art is ritual and we partake in, in rituals all the time, right? In our daily lives and even in moments that aren't daily, <laughs> but they're impactful nonetheless. One of my anthropology professors used marriage as an example of a ritual because it transforms you from one state to another. You are single and through the ritual, you transform into a married person. Now, the sexiest concept ever <laughs> that I just absolutely love is the space between those two states. What is happening between those two states? That's what's called the liminal space. We can also call it the journey, the process, which we talked about before. Everything occurs in that space is the magic. In terms of art, a lump of clay transforms into a sculpture. Everyone else sees the sculpture in the end, but what I'm most curious about is what happened in between. So in this sense, the liminal can hold space for the process of creating, how the transformation came to be. You know, process is vastly important. You have to put yourself in that space in order to learn, to grow, to gain experience or insight. It's not about just becoming that thing in the end. It's about what you're going to take with you and what you learned during it. Um, and that's a vital part of developing your, your relationship with yourself and your artwork or really any, any work that you're doing. I love this so much. The liminal space is just so potent. And speaking of growing and gaining insight, Caitlin, you have a young daughter who is so precious and occasionally makes an appearance on your Instagram, usually during tea and tarot parties. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I just want to say that you make being a mom look so effortless, regardless of the reality. And I'm curious how stepping into the role of mother has influenced your craft. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, <laughs> she's very sweet and we do have so much fun together, um, you know, but she's, she's very strong-willed. She <laughs> is in her toddler prime of tantrums and um, emotions and she is a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got very strong Virgo energy. It's influenced me in so many, so many ways. One thing, one lesson that I've had to learn 
from becoming a mother and trying to balance all of these passions that I have um, is that my expectations of my productivity had to evolve since becoming a mother. Free time is limited. And when you do have the time, energy levels can be down, way down. So when my expectations for any aspect of my day, my week, weren't realistic, I felt like a failure, you know, to be honest. Um, I couldn't produce or perform to the same standards that I could before I had my daughter. So I had to learn to be more gentle with myself, slow down and create a kinder inner dialogue because I think we can be sort of the worst person in our lives at times. And one of, one of the ways I did that was instead of listing all the things I didn't do and judging myself for that, I started to list everything I did do. So my craft, right? Um, it, it's had to evolve to compensate for those changes in my life and what I really need to be supported in those changes. So there's days as a parent where you really feel physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually depleted. But I had to take some ownership that I'm responsible to heal myself and replenish all of those tanks, especially if I'm going to be taking care of my daughter to, to at the level that I want to be taking care of her at. So um, for craft, I try not to give myself too many tasks that feel like a chore. Although to be honest, I do witchify my actual chores as much as possible. <laughs> it makes them more bearable, um, you know, floor cleanses and things like that. But magical self-care um, has really become super, super important to me. So what does my craft look like right now? It looks like old candles that I reuse over and over again until there is no wax left. I make flower-infused anointing oils. Rosemary tea baths are a huge thing for me. Um, I love boiling herbs and flowers and adding that to my bath. I love clay face mask rituals. And they're all, these are all things that I just have come up with on the fly for myself to make myself feel better <laughs> and cooking intentionally. Yes, I love all these ideas. I think the little things we can do to bring more magic into just our mundane activities are so helpful. And next week, we're going to be diving into the mother archetype as she appears throughout folklore and mythology. How does the mother show up in your life? Or do you even identify with that archetype? This is an emotional question for me to think about and answer. Um, I could feel the, the transition from maiden to mother begin when I was pregnant and even more so after I gave birth. Um, and it's actually something I thought a lot about at the time. That's how palpable it felt to start phasing into this mother figure and to sort of meditate on the archetype and what it meant to me. My maternal instincts became stronger. I felt more intuitive and I felt more decisive, which was very new for me. <laughs> I felt like my convictions were stronger and that was super empowering, of course, but it was also a really painful 
and scary transition. This was a new life that was be beginning for me, which also means you're leaving things behind. So while you feel this wholeness when you're cradling your baby, eventually it comes with feelings of loss of your old life and your old ideals. And I had mentioned before productivity and the standards that you set for yourself. So I thought of the mother figure who in my mind is strong, selfless, she's wise, you know, she has all the answers and she's sort of unfaltering. And that was really intimidating to me. Could I ever be her? You know, is that me? You know, do I have that in me to be this new person? And at times, you know, you know, that can put you in a dark place um, because you're so worried that you're not going to be the mother that you want to be. And I've worked through a lot of that, of course. I mean, every mother does, you know, every new mother does. But, you know, there's always times you know, where I feel, I still feel like that maiden. I have that strong maiden energy still going on within me. And it feels like, you know, I'm the maiden standing in the shadow of the mother. And I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm like, help, you know, help me get through this. To me, I, I feel she's there, not judging me for crying because I was up all night, you know, for the fifth night in a row and, and or dealing with tantrums or whatnot. Um, but she's wiping my tears and she's pushing me to the light out of her shadow so I can stand on my own. And that is so, that was so powerful to me to come to that realization because I'm responsible for my, for my daughter and she is a life that I will be responsible for, for the rest of mine. Um, and I can feel, I can be sad and I can feel like, you know, depleted, but I have to be strong and I have to bounce back from that. So I had to let go of this misconception that I had to be perfect, that I had to be the perfect mother archetype um, because the mother is flawed as well. And many of the myths surrounding goddesses, you know, de depict them as strong, powerful forces, but they're also vulnerable and they're fragile and they're susceptible to external circumstances. So there's this inherent polarity within the stories and within these figures. And that's a polarity of energy and a polarity of the self. She's all of those things at the same time. And so am I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good mother, but I'm also flawed and that's okay. I really love your insight here. And thank you so much. Um, Kristen and I were kind of talking about our relationships with the mother archetype um, last week and I found it kind of opaque but I really love the nuanced way that you describe the instinct and intuition and the fragility and flaws and coordination with her strength and steadfastness. Um, and I can't wait to dive more into this archetype next week. 
the week before this, Kristen and I answered a listener question about how to make time for rituals and spiritual practice in general when you're just stretched so thin. And I would imagine that as a mother to a young child, um, free time is rare and very precious for you. So I'm wondering if you could share any tips for witchy parents when it comes to balancing parenthood with honoring yourself and your art and spirituality. First and foremost, I think it's really easy to get lost in the beautifully curated witchy social <laughs> media world. Um, while it's beautiful and inspiring, I think it can leave people feeling pressured to perform. Mm -hmm. We can feel like our work doesn't look like someone else's and, and that makes it bad, which is a huge mistake. Um, in my opinion, I the magic comes from your personal connection to what you're doing. I don't believe there's anything more powerful than the craft you weave from your own thread. So you can think of your routine as ritual in the sense that it's habitual and repetitive and most likely things you already do and you already have time for. The question you can answer, only you can answer, I should say, is what and how. What's the task and how can you modify it to be more intentional? Will you express it through bathing, making your morning coffee, cooking dinner, cleaning? <laughs> the chore we all love to do. I also enjoy researching the magical and medicinal correspondence of ingredients and in family recipes, uh, particularly my family's tomato sauce. That's been another way for me to lean into my heritage and also make this sort of what can seem like a mundane task of cooking more magical. And let's be honest, Hovering over a boiling pot with a wooden spoon is just about as witchy as it gets. Yes. Um, <laughs> Stregonona vibes. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, I tend to work with the same Mediterranean herbs over and over again because I'm mostly Mediterranean. So I cook with them, grow them, burn them, make salves and uh, infused oils, so concentrating on a small group of herbs and flowers is a really easy way to not get overwhelmed uh, with all of the you know, amazing herbal ingredients out there. And in doing that, I think you're opening your eyes to the magic around you and cultivating a practice that truly aligns with who you are. And that's something that I think will make it more effortless. I also like to make it as convenient for me as possible. So I keep a uh, simple tabletop altar looking things uh, in places around my house that I enter the most, like the kitchen, my desk, my bedroom. And it makes it easier for me to interact with them as I'm moving about the house during different times of the day. So one of the things that I like to do is keep a lot of lavender sprigs in little vases or on bookshelves and, and keep matchbooks close by. That way I can just kind of pluck one, burn it, do a quick little, little quickie smoke cleanse, if you want to say, um, 
it's not a whole full-blown ritual, but it's something that I need sometimes throughout the day. And I'm also, I'm juggling other things. So it's quick and it's easy and it's always there for me. Um, I also keep candles, crystals in pretty much every room, small jars of roses. And I keep spray bottles with rose water uh, in the bathroom, in my bedroom, and I can spray my face with it. Um, that way I can sort of just decide at spur of the moment that I need something or I want to do something, you know, they're the, my, my most turned to tools. So, and I think just remembering that simplicity or quick, it doesn't mean ineffective. Yeah. I'm really happy that you said that because I, I just agree that authenticity is key. So I have to think that quick daily spells are even more effective than an elaborate moon ritual if you're pressed for time or your mind is going to be elsewhere. You mentioned my daughter and I playing with tarot cards, uh, which is another way that I've been able to make time for it. I don't really recall how we started to play with them. I think she found a box of cards on my bookshelf and just took them out one day, but she really enjoys playing with them. So she started handing me cards or leaving them on my desk or leaving them on the couch. And I thought, hmm, this could be interesting. It was as if she were pulling the cards for me. Mm -hmm. So I started taking pictures of them and then reflecting on them later when I had time to consider what they, they might've meant. So that's been a really interesting collaborative activity. And again, I just want to point out that I don't put pressure on myself to do it. You know, um, if she goes for the cards, then we do it. Then we play with them. Uh, she hands them to me and it's... <laughs> It's so hilarious. She just started like holding a couple in her hand and babbling at them and like <laughs> moving her hands and talking. So I I sit there and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, really? That's what the wands mean? <laughs> so it's really fun. Oh my gosh. In a world where we're barraged with the notion that putting energy into our art is not as important as a traditional nine to five real job, and I'm using air quotes here when I say real job, what drives you to keep creating and how do you nurture that side of yourself even when society suggests we should be or do something else? Mm. Well, this is going to sound a little aggressive. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, but you know, I don't care what anyone thinks about what I'm doing. <laughs> I have always been weird. I cannot contain it. I cannot contain my emotions or my opinions. Uh, when I want to do something, I do it. And with age, because I definitely didn't feel like this when I was younger, but the older I have become, the more I've learned to trust myself to make decisions that are best for me. Um, and there's my Sagittarius energy. Yes. <laughs> um, of course, it's not always easy to maintain the drive. There's self-doubt, imposter syndrome, you know, demanding toddlers and other responsibilities. But I try to talk to myself the same way I would a student. Do you love what you're doing? Yes. We'll keep going, make time, you know, make it important. Remember why you started in the first place. 
You know, and I have to acknowledge the two sides to this work. There's the extrinsic and the intrinsic motivation. You have to grind and hustle to be an artist, whether it's part-time or full-time. We all need to make a living. Um, and many artists I know have multiple jobs in order to do that. And you have to remember um, a lot of people that aren't artists, they, they don't know the work that it takes. Artists invest pay less time in themselves by having the discipline to practice, conceptualize the work. You have to come up with the ideas, continue their education, critique themselves. And those are all really crucial to polishing your skills so that you can get work and you can make money. And that's a really powerful drive to continue. I had a photography professor say, not only were we going to learn about fine art photography, but he was going to teach us the skills so we could go out, get a job and set up a photo studio. And that's really important stuff. Ultimately though, we can't lose sight of where the impulse to create came from to begin with. And that came inside from your gut, your soul. Something inside you said, I need to get this, whatever it is, out onto paper. So I think the art that we all strive to create and the art that we really want to be making is the art that comes from your soul. That's the work that's an extension of you. It has something to say. It's imbued with your emotions, your thoughts, and everything that moves you is in that work. And chances are it moves the people who are looking at it. Don't, don't let yourself stand in the way. And don't let anybody else stand in your way. You know, if you have people in your life that are discouraging you from pursuing your art and your passions, ew, like <laughs> that, those aren't people that you need close to you. That's not energy that you need. Um, and those aren't people that are rooting for you. Absolutely. Um, so can you say a little bit more about your Sagittarius self? Like I would love to know what resonates most with you as being a Sagittarius? Mm, well, as a Sag, I love to talk about being a Sag. <laughs> <laughs> so something I see a lot is this, this kind of basic and overused characteristic of the Sag, which is that we love to um, explore in the form of traveling, hopping on a plane, you know, indulging our whims, all that stuff. Um, and I, I don't really connect with that. I also think it's a little elitist, you know, who not everybody has the time or the money for that. The operative word here is explore. You know, for me, Sag energy is more about thinking outside the box, you know, crossing boundaries of thought and convention, mm -hmm. exploring new ideas, exploring ourselves, being adaptable, being open-minded and curious. So those are the parts of Sagittarius that I really resonate with. And of course, the honesty of Sagittarius energy is huge for me.
So I know that you're working on so many different things right now, but what are you most excited about? So it's a personal venture. I'm getting into astrophotography. Um, my stepfather recently purchased a telescope. So we bought an attachment so that we can actually take photos of the moon, of stars, of other planets. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. I want to offer some prints of special moons and moon phases and stuff like that in my shop. So I'm, I'm at the very beginning of all of this. So I haven't fully gotten it down yet um, in terms of the technical side, but get ready for lots of juicy moon photography. <laughs> I love that. I can't wait to see Before we go, Caitlin, can you tell our listeners where they can connect with you and see more of your art? Yes. So people can connect with me um, on Instagram at flowerchildarts. And uh, from there, I have links to my Society6, uh, my Etsy shop, and I'm always open to DMs. So any questions, (laughs) feel free to ask. Thank you, Caitlin, and thank you listeners so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk about the archetype of the mother as she appears in folklore and mythology. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be for something better. Until next time.